This is the Zach Ansbury Channel. Welcome. On today's podcast clip, we have Professor Rachel Kennedy from the Ehrenberg Bass Institute, University of South Australia. Drew had already secured the data and had an analyst working with him, but I took over kind of doing the number crunching and writing it up and we bonded over that project and um, we were lucky enough, you know, that was award-winning research mm. and then we w- moved on to the brand advertising as creative publicity paper and a number of other things. So, yeah, I wouldn't say it was bonding overnight, but we learnt to have a really good working relationship, loved working with him. Yeah. And he took me to New York for the first time and introduced me to some of his contacts, which has been amazing because then over time, many of those supporters who had stood by Andrew for a long time have now become core institute supporters, you know, these decades later. So it ended up being very much win-win for Andrew and the team at Southbank and all of the young researchers that what became, you know, the institute um, because there was beautiful synergy of being able to stand on their shoulders because they'd done so much in marketing and had such a strength of applying science to this discipline and yet we had an enthusiasm to go out and share that and to continue the work in different ways. Yeah. um, So, like, I I know quite a bit about Andrew's work. Um, I've probably read dozens of his articles and multiple times and quite embraced on it. But I, unfortunately, uh, Andrew had passed away before I joined the Institute, so I never had an opportunity to meet him. Um, how would you describe him as a, as a person? You know, I, we all respect him for what he's done as, as work, but how, what was he like as a human being? I really liked him. It definitely had a sense of humour, but you definitely could see his Germanic roots. Okay. And so he could be quite blunt and strong with some things, but I I liked that. You knew where you stood, probably wouldn't want to be on his wrong side, but there was a passion there. So if someone did, you know, critique work, he would spend hours and days or weeks, whatever was relevant, writing a response and very, an amazing brain. Yeah, that's what I've heard about him as well um, from other people, like informally, if that he it was a strong-willed person and, um, you know, really, yeah, his, his intelligence was something that shone through through his personal life as well. Yeah, and an incredible passion to his work. Mm. I've never seen anybody else who would go through a manuscript so many times. Wow. Every word mattered. So English was his second language, um, but he was so particular about what word best described the data and best would communicate to others long term. Yeah. That's actually a, a wonderful quality to have, um, especially because manuscripts are, are huge. Um, you know, short manuscripts in marketing are, what, four to 6,000 words. The bigger ones are 12,000 words. And to sit there and literally scrutinise each word and then every sentence. I think the only person I've heard is like that is um, Keston Green, actually. I heard he, every single word, him and Scott Armstrong are very detailed and, you know, because they don't want their work to be misinterpreted. Misinterpreted completely. Mm. And the other thing about this is he was a statistician, mm. so numbers were really his thing. But likewise, he would spend enormous amount of time thinking, how do you present data? Yeah. And 
that's where his principles of making sure things are sorted by market share so that you can see patterns that matter to brands, including totals or averages, were very much, you know, rules to him that should be the norm and he wanted others to know about those so that we were all better communicators and get the most out of the data that we've got. Yeah, and like I think we can all agree that the the empirical things that is found and the patterns and the data that is found have, have changed the way we think about marketing. But I actually kind of feel like some of the stuff that's had a real impact that does go, you know, um, unrecognized is the principles of data reduction. They are so huge because without applying them, you know, things like removing unnecessary lines and, and the big one, which is ordering by size, if you don't do that, you just can't see the patterns. And even things like rounding. Yeah, yeah, rounding's a huge one as well. Especially when people often, you know, don't account for sampling error and then they make tables complex so you can't see the patterns. Yeah, and, very sensible rules. And you see it um, in industry and, and academic conferences. You're sitting there and you're in a presentation, maybe the speaker has 15 minutes and they, you know, they talk about previous studies and then they get along to their results and you're sitting there and the way that they've presented this data, you can't possibly, within the two minutes of time that they give you to look at that slide, interpret what's going on because there's three or four decimal places. A lot of the time they're inconsistent and they're ordered in a funny way or it's all grid line patterns. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, ah, oh, I'm not sure I understand what you're trying to get across here. And like, so I try to listen into what they're saying, but nah, I often... Um, uh, at, a, at a DC, actually, I spoke to a girl afterwards. I said, oh, you should really read Andrew's work about principles of data reduction. Um, it would very much help you. And then, funnily enough, I heard Robert East tell her the same thing after the presentation. So um, he's, that thing, I think, has had a, a lot of a lot of uh, impact. I think it implies to industry equally. So mm. a common thing is people get their tracking studies or whatever yeah. research report it might be, and their brand appears at the top of any reporting. <laughs> and absolutely, they yeah. want to know where they stand. Makes sense to them, yeah. <laughs> well, it kind of in theory might, but then they don't realise that they're underperforming for their size mm. because they're not sorted by size. Yeah, it'd work if you had the brand that was the uh, largest. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Everything else, but I suppose that's you, the minority of businesses, though. <laughs> if we look at it statistically, <laughs> if you thought about, if you think from their perspective, though, and you don't realise that ordering by size is so important, that your perspective is my brand is the most important. So we'll make it easy for everyone else in the room, like our shareholders or other people in our team, maybe the finance team. We'll put ours at the top, so then they can clearly, quickly find us. But like you said, it can. Uh, lead to misinterpretation of the results. But you can still do both. So you yeah. sort by share, but bold the brand of interest. Yeah. I've done that um, for reports actually as well in terms of like just flagging the brand for who we're doing the, the report for to be like, you know, you guys are, I don't know, seventh highest market share, but I'll put maybe their logo next to it or something. So then it is easy to find their brand for them, but they realise that they're not, yeah. So There's room to grow. Yeah, exactly. Um so, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, the paper that I knew you most for, um, especially entering into the Institute as an honours student, was um, the paper you mentioned just then, which was uh, the branches of profiles seldom differ. Uh, so you, I didn't realise that came out of your work with Andrew. And I know he's one of the co-authors there. Um, and so he already had so a So it was there. his idea. Okay. And he'd already worked out how what the analysis might look like because that was also building on other work that he'd done previously with Kathy Hammond and some others. Yeah. Um, yes, so that was my core project when I got to London, bringing that to life and 
um, a key point was presenting it at the Market Research Society and, yeah, then getting it published. So, Yeah, I, I think it's, um, I mean, I quite like the paper. I've read it so many times and since I've replicated it with you, which is pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, I remember actually when um, Robert East and Cathy Hammond were, were visiting the Institute. Now, this must have been... We were still in draft stage of that paper at this point, so it must have been four or five years ago now. And I was sitting with Cathy in the in the lunchroom, and she has no idea who I am. <laughs> I was just a master's student at the time, I think, and here I am telling her like I really liked her paper from 1996, and she's just looking at me like. Hey you guys, it's Zach Ainsbury here with just a couple of quick reminders. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, then make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. There are plenty more interviews to come with some of the world's leading marketing academics and practitioners. You do not want to miss these. In the meantime, if you're looking for another way to connect, then follow me on Twitter at Zach Ainsbury. That is Z-A-C-A-N-E-S-B-U-R-Y for my take on the marketing issues of the day.